I think the first thing is to figure out where you want your business to go, right? Because everyone kind of has different business goals and different personal goals. For example, I'm very much of a, you know, lifestyle business. Your business, you know, exists to serve you, live a good enough life, right? It makes you enough money to live. But other people do want to have the big business. They do want to scale. They do want to exit. They want all those things. So the first thing is to figure out exactly where you're trying to take your business. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome back, Contrarian Cashflow. Today, I've got Michael Eckstein with me. Michael, what is going on? Nothing much. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. No, looking forward to this. Uh, you know, when it comes to Contrarian, I know that uh, you have some viewpoints that, that hopefully will shine some light for the audience here about purpose and, and overall reasons for being part of a small business or owning a small business. So for those folks that don't know, Michael is an accountant, a small business advisor, and one of the best damn newsletter curators that I know. So Michael, what do you have working on right now? Um, you mean in my business-wise, right? Just in general, in life, all over the place. I feel like I'm always working on the newsletter now that you mentioned it. There's always trying to think of a new topic. And right now, I guess the really unusual thing is trying to, I don't know how to describe it, package advising in a way that makes sense. That isn't just like, oh, pay for Q&A because, you know. There's a lot of that, which is like, pay me a thousand bucks to talk to me or whatever. It's just like, but about what? There's no deliverable. And without it being um, fake and uh, coachy in a bad way, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I know we're all kind of working through that process of how do we deliver our product and messaging properly to our audience. Yeah. So definitely love to delve into that more deeper. So so one of the big reasons I was super excited to get you on the show was just, I think you've gone through this process that a lot of us have, right? We kind of went through this dream of what we thought, you know, we, we expected life to be. And, you know, maybe this, these corporate aspirations or these large scale aspirations of working in these businesses and kind of since pivoted from there and kind of focused more on the small business side. So I guess if you don't mind giving the audience just kind of a, a synopsis about your background and, and how you got to where you are today, that'd be outstanding. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I have an accounting degree, like my bachelor's is in accounting. I came out, I started working for my dad, who is an accountant also, right? And it, he had a solo business. It was just him. And I came in and I worked with him. And to a certain extent, I do still work with him. I do a lot of the boring accounting things that he doesn't want to do anymore. That's the perk of getting your children into your business. You're just like, this is your problem now. So all the boring things are my problem now, right? Uh, he's actually on vacation right now as we record this. And he called me like 20 minutes ago to like send some documents to a client. I was like, all right, cool, whatever, right? I'll go take care of that. Um so I started working for him and I just wanted to see, you know, could we slightly evolve the accounting practice a little bit, right? He has a different client base, different era, different age group. And I was like, let's just see what we can do and slowly built up my own accounting practice. It wasn't really meant to compete with his or to replace his. It just kind of happened. And then one day I was like at a networking event talking to a partner of another accounting firm. And I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm an accountant now. I'm like a real accountant with like a real practice and like, okay, right? But um, that was like successful enough. You know, I'm 
at that point, I was probably one of the top rated accountants in this town, the general vicinity I'm in. It's doing well. It was like the accounting dream, right? That clients are coming in, everyone's happy, good reviews, making money and all that. But the thing is, it's like, everyone always says that accounting is stable. That's always the word people use, right? It's a stable career. Stable turns out to be like super lame when you have to do it every day, right? It just, it's really, really lame. And you provide a service, of course, but you don't really, very few clients are super appreciative because the reason you do tax returns is because the IRS tells you you have to. No one does it because you want to. There's minimal value in a tax return. You know, the only kind of information you can glean out of a tax return is tax related things to reduce your taxes, but it doesn't help you with your business. I mean, saving a little bit of tax does help you with your business, but like it doesn't help you make your business more profitable. It's just purely tax. And, um, I remember listening to this podcast, an accountant by the name of, I believe, Greg Crabtree said, you know, if accountants say that we're providing value to businesses, then why are we compliance first, advising second? Shouldn't it be advising first, compliance second? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, it should be. You know, if we are really going to sit here and pretend we're trusted advisors, you know, business advisors, then we should act like it, right? And since then, I've been shifting over from purely compliance to more I want to be a more holistic help. If you have business questions, I want to help with that, you know, because certain small business advisors, like the accountants and the lawyers, the financial advisors, right now, a lot of them sit in this kind of, we do our job, we're in our lane, but like, because they're exposed to the business environment through either their lens as an accountant, a lawyer or whatever, and so many business clients, they do have insights. And there's certain things you can only learn from these people. Like, for example, if you have, you know, if you're, you know, a local construction company or something and you have permit problems, you cannot Google enough to find out about that. You need to have the local people that are living it, that know the environment and they have all this knowledge. And, you know, that local zoning attorney really knows a lot about running business in the area, you know? So there's a difference between just doing the bare minimum and being like, I know the environment in our area, you know? Absolutely. And I mean, I think that's one thing I love about your background so much is trying to take more of a holistic approach. I had uh, somebody mentioned me a while back about, you know, kind of building that personal board of strategic advisors, right? So folks that have backgrounds, you know, obviously uh, an accountant may have a different perspective than an attorney, you know, if someone's doing some estate planning, but just having those folks in your background. So if you need to leverage them and ask questions, you know, and kind of look at things from more of a holistic perspective. So one thing you talked about was kind of building that practice. You know, obviously, you know, it wasn't necessarily the the route that you ultimately wanted to to go down, but what was it like building that up, right? I mean, that's pretty impressive to build something kind of from scratch into, you know, being one of the best known accounting firms in in the area. So what was that process like and what did you do to really find success? It was weird in a way because I wasn't going out to try and be like the best whatever, right? I was just taking the things that like now I talk about small businesses and applying it to my own business, right? You know, getting the reviews, the customer service, the being on top of invoicing, you know, leveraging newer technology. All the things I talk about was just things I brought to my own practice. And I guess it brought me ahead of the game, right? And um, it was a little surreal because it did kind of start as an experiment to see, you know, could a super lean website, could you start? and make something happen. And then just turning around years later and being like, oh yeah, no, it you could, you can. Like it wasn't a super fast acceleration. I'm not gonna say that, but hey, it happened, yeah. 
Well, and I just love the perspective that you're talking about where it's, you know, you're just doing very basic things overall, right? You know, but the accumulation of them together, you know, mm-hmm. delivers a very premium product, right? You're like, okay, so we, we delivered customer service. We at least put up a website. You know, we, we, we tracked some semblance of SEO. We, we did the basic yeah. things to kind of, you know, leverage technology as much as we could. And I think sometimes people just overcomplicate things, right? You know, and they're like, oh my yeah. gosh, you know, starting a business or doing this and that. Not that there isn't complexity here and there, but like you said, you just focused on, hey, if, as long as we're, you know, seven or eight out of 10 in 10 different areas, that's going to be much better than, you know, the majority of people as it is. Yeah, that's something people don't like to talk about. You know, when you read business advice and everything online from like influencers and books and everything, it's always, you have to be the best. You have to be an expert. You have to be a thought leader. But the reality is in a lot of industries, being above average you'll live a pretty good life, you know, maybe you're not going to, you know, dominate and become a regional powerhouse or something, but you can live a good life being above average. And, you know, that's not fun. And like, not like the, the way business advice always is on the internet, where it's just like, you have to be the best. But realistically, say, like with accounting, there are probably 20 different, you know, practices around me, you know, they're all probably mediocre or good enough accountants, right? But if you're just above average, right, you can bring in enough business to have a good enough life, you know? I don't know. It's not glamorous, but I think that's the reality we don't like to talk about. You just have to be better, you know? Totally. Well, and I think that's kind of when you look at small business, and this is one of the perspectives that you have that I really like is, you know, how to how does the business fit into your life, right? You know, and I think that's kind of the advising side. So I guess as you kind of evolved, how did the advising come about? You mentioned you kind of just trial and aired some things, you know, on your own. And that's kind of where your aptitude for being able to advise these small businesses. But, but how did, what was the real impetus for kind of that transition to more that business advisor versus just the compliance accounting firm? It was, I think it was something I was thinking about for a while, but couldn't put into words. And that one podcast I'd mentioned is what kind of was the aha moment. I was like, this is what I was looking for. You know, I'd always thought that compliance wasn't really everything, you know, and it wasn't really fulfilling to do, right? But it was just kind of like, where is the next thing? Where, what are we going to do? And then with that, I was like, oh, yeah. And things started clicking. I was like, this is the part of the job I enjoy, you know? I enjoy talking to business owners about their businesses, you know? And like countless like meetings that were supposed to be, you know, tax appointments started with, all right, here's the tax stuff. I need to do your tax return. And then it ended up with like my client, like on my computer, showing me the new website and be like, what do you think? Do you think I need to do this? Do you think I need to do that? I was like, maybe we should take a step back. And every single call or appointment or whatever always started as a tax call because that's why I was hired, but it always ended up being business advice. And that was the part I enjoyed the most. And I was just like, you know what, let's make this a thing. And right now I'm trying to transition from the kind of ad hoc business advice where I was just like, kind of like, it's a Q and a you're, you know, paying me for whatever. And we're just making it happen. We're fixing the business, like the business is getting better, but to like a more structured kind of, you know what you get going into it. Right. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I think that's just so powerful for so many people on different levels in regards to you started off one way because you thought mm-hmm. that that was the path to success but you were yeah. able to evolve it into what you enjoyed. And I think that's what so many people struggle with is, is finding that accumulation between a culmination between the, 
you know, the monetary side, right? Because obviously we all need to eat and have a roof over our head, yeah. but then also kind of the passion and the fulfillment side, you know, cause like you said, the compliance isn't, and you know, for an accountant, I mean, you know, you've got a, a pretty perky personality, you know, and uh, <laughs> a little bit more enjoyable yeah. that it's not so dry. Right. And so yeah. I think that's, you know, it's clear that that's what really drove you and, and you know, gave you more purpose and, and excitement to actually go out and do the job. So one of the points I've heard you talk about before is around kind of just small businesses in general, right? There's kind of different advice you can get and people seek advice from so many different areas. And, you know, for me, advice is kind of, it is what it is. You get what you pay for, right? You know, for yeah. free advice versus expensive advice, but even sometimes expensive advice is just free advice packaged in a much better yeah. marketing marketing yeah. way. But so what's your recommendation for folks out there that are trying to look for advice to help scale and grow their business? You know, what are some, what are some areas you've kind of seen or gleaned that are good ways for them to actually find business advice that is practical to their actual business? I think the first thing is to figure out where you want your business to go, right? Because everyone kind of has different business goals and different personal goals. For example, I'm very much of a you know, lifestyle business, your business, you know, exists to serve you, live a good enough life, right? It makes you enough money to live. But other people do want to have the big business. They do want to scale. They do want to exit. They want all those things. So the first thing is to figure out exactly where you're trying to take your business, right? How it fits into your goals and all of that. Then kind of pick advisors from there. Because like, you know, if you pick an advisor that wants to blow you up and have you scale and everything, but you really just want to work four days a week, you know, their advice is good for a certain type of business, but it's not good for you, right? And then from there to really do your own due diligence into these different advisors, not just are they legit, is their advice good, but like, do they have experience in your industry, right? Like, for example, I don't really give advice on certain industries like retail, e-commerce, that sort of thing. I know a little bit about it, but it's just not where my expertise is, right? I couldn't tell you the, you know, behind the scenes mechanisms behind Amazon and selling clothes or whatever, right? So I, I don't even give advice on it because I know I'd be BSing people, right? But not everyone is so forward with that and they just kind of pick up whatever client they can. So make sure your advisor is a good fit for you, you know? And then I guess on top of that, it's like a different thing. If you're not going to get an advisor and you're just going to, you know, read books, read forms, whatever, just remember to take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt because sometimes the advice is old, right? Sometimes that advice shouldn't even be out there, like tax advice, financial, legal. Those can change drastically depending on where you are in the country, in the world, or whatever. And for those kinds of advice, definitely hire someone, right? And then remember that uh, it's, you know, outside advice isn't supposed to replace your thoughts, it's supposed to supplement them, right? You're still the person in control of your business, it's still your ship. Don't let someone else kind of come in and tell you like what you got to do. Sometimes like if it's like tax and you have no idea what's going on, fine. But like if it's how you want to run your business, you know, don't let someone come in and say, oh, you have to work six days a week when you want to work for, you know. No, I love that idea, the concept of supplement your own thoughts, right? You know, and I think mm -hmm. that's just in general, like I think people don't take a step back and understand really what they want from something, be it their life their business, you know, they don't really sit down and ask themselves those questions, right? And it's always yeah. a give and take, right? You know, are you going to give up having to work five days a week for a little bit less income, but your lifestyle is is more in line with what you want and what you expect yeah. from it versus, you know, having to work seven days a week, you know, 80 hour weeks, like, is, is that really what you want? And I think just in general, I love that point because it's just, I don't think very many people, especially small business owners where they're constantly just, you know, running around like a chicken with their head cut off. And if they just took a second and just step back and that's where the advisory comes in is 
you know, what are you really wanting from this business? Is your goal to yeah. scale it and exit it? And I think exits are a little bit overrated sometimes because now all of a sudden you yeah. just got a pot of money, right? I mean, the pot of money doesn't just grow, right? You know, yeah. I mean, you're gonna you're ultimately gonna have to invest it or, or put it in in other means. And and so I think that's just such a great point. And then also around the supplement your own thoughts you know, for me, control is so important, right? And not that I won't delegate some of the decisions or some of the knowledge base, but ultimately, if I don't at least understand it a little bit to be dangerous, mm. then ultimately I'm flying blind. Like you said, you know, I mean, yep. if it's some really idiosyncrasy within the tax code of, yep. you know, something like that, I'll try to research it, but, you know, I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole if, it, you know, if I really yep. have no clue, but just having some level of competence, just because like you said, back to, you know, do they really understand your industry? And that's why I think it's important, you know, folks within real estate or small business and, and, yeah. you know, different areas, like you said, e-commerce retail, that's not an area that I'm super familiar with myself either. Right. And so, you know, just being open and honest about that. And I think that's a really good point for folks when they're looking for these advisors, making sure that they have a knowledge base within the industries that they're looking within. Right. Not, not necessarily that it has to be super wide, you know, like, oh, they yeah. haven't manufactured this particular widget you know, but you know, at least, Hey, have they done manufacturing or have they done yeah. import export or, you know, just kind of at a, at a high level. Um, and be aware if you're in a niche industry, like for example, real estate investing is a little bit niche, you know, import export or now cannabis. It's like some things don't carry over and sometimes you do need the niche and sometimes you can have someone a little bit wider. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a really, really great point. So one thing I want to ask about I've heard you talk about this before as well is kind of the small business versus startup mentality, mm -hmm. right? You know, and, mm -hmm. and yeah. so I think so many times people hear, hear small business and they kind of relate it to a startup, right? Hey, this is just something that we're going to just pump as much capital into as much effort into and scale it. And then all of a sudden we're going to have this exit event. And so, you know, but for a lot of people, like you're talking about with the lifestyle business, so what's kind of your perspective just overall on, you know, small business versus startup and, and how similar or dissimilar they are to one another? So I think that's one of the, I guess, almost problems with business advice right now, that a lot of business advice either comes from the startup world or comes from big business corporate world. And it's important to remember that the advice can be good in small business, but you can't copy and paste it. Because sometimes that advice only makes sense in that world because, for example, startups want to scale quickly and exit, right? Or break through and try and dominate a market. And big business wants to be, you know, optimize profitability and stability and stuff like that. If those aren't your goals, then that advice isn't going to help you get to your goals. It's going to help you get to big business goals. It's going to help you get to startup goals, right? So, you know, make sure that the advice you're taking makes sense for your business. And like, there are smart things you can take from there, right? There's innovation stuff you can take from, you know, some, uh, startups, there's best practices from, you know, megacorps, but um, really pick and choose what makes sense to you just because Facebook did it, Amazon, you know, GE, whatever, doesn't mean it has to make sense for you. You know, you can do whatever, you know, makes sense over there. And specifically on the topic of startups and exits and all of that, there's certain parts of startup culture that I hate because they don't make sense in small business. So for example, Shark Tank has, and VCs and stuff of venture capitalists have glamorized the whole giving equity for funding thing. And that makes sense in startups because you can afford to give someone 10% of your equity or whatever for a million dollars, five, $10 million. That isn't as good of a deal if it's 20 grand. Right. And if you're a small business, that's what the deal is going to look like. No one's going to give you, you know, a million dollars for 10% equity to start your accounting firm or your whatever. Right. They're, you know, because they're trying to make money too. And the thing that a lot of people don't realize is 
the people who now have equity, even if they don't have a majority equity stake, do have an opinion. And you have to put up with them for the rest of forever or until you can buy them back out, which you probably can't because you needed their money in the first place, right? So you're stuck with them, right? And that's not always a great thing. There's other ways to raise money, right? There's loans and stuff like that. Don't just jump into the equity raising just because Shark Tank does it. And then on the flip side of the equity raising is the exit. And the important thing to know is that these startups that are trying to exit are positioning for exit. So it means everything is together on the inside. Like they have systems, they have processes, they have, you know, not dedicated marketing channels, but they have campaigns and stuff that are working, bringing in clients, they're minimizing their, you know, client and customer churn, their, all their accounting records are good. Everything is not super clean, but things make sense and there's something to sell, right? And in a lot of small businesses, you know, the owners tell themselves for years and years, oh, I'll, my retirement is selling my business. But then they get there and, you know, the business requires them to be there, right? And like, if you're buying, like, think about the kind of business you'd want to buy. Do you really want to buy a business where you have to go and work 60 hours a week and you're going to buy it and you have to work 60 hours a week and there's no systems, there's no processes. All the business came because that old owner was really well known in the area and was like referral business. You know, there's nothing to buy there. But a lot of small businesses are like that. You know, they make good money, they make a good living, but that's not worth as much as a business with like legit processes and, you know, I don't know, like have your tax records for the last five years. You have no idea how much I talk to, you know, businesses and clients and they don't have them. But the thing is, if you were going to go buy a business, that's something you would ask for. I would never like let a client, I mean, first off, I would never actually walk a client through this, a purchase of a business. They're specialized accountants for that. I don't do that kind of thing, right? And you sign on this. There are specialized accountants and lawyers for purchasing businesses that help you do the due diligence. If you're going to buy the business, don't do due diligence on your own. Don't have your average garden variety accountant do it. Have an accountant who's specialized in due diligence and detecting fraud. Because the last thing you got to do, the last thing you want to do is buy a business, legally own it, and all of a sudden you find all the problems and now you're legally screwed for certain things, right? Hire people for due diligence. I don't know where I was going with that. But yeah, you want to have a business. And if you're going to sell it, it has to be sellable. And for it to be sellable, it has to either be a business someone wants to buy or you have to have some major asset that another bigger company is going to try, try and take and fold into their own business. And that's what startups do. Startups build real big. And then some mega corporation that doesn't want to build it internally is just like, whatever, we'll give you $500 million. We're going to gobble up your startup. and It's going to become a department in our company. And that's what they do. But they have all their stuff together, right? They know where their corporate operating agreement is right? If you're going to sell your business, know where that is. No one knows where that is, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Well, and I think it just continues to blend together with knowing what you want as an, as an outcome, right? And the expectation, right? And so you talked about, even if you have a small business, that's not necessarily in the startup realm, right? Startups are, are, are built to exit, right? More, more often than not. And, yeah. but on the small business side, you know, look at it and, and see what value it would have to an external buyer. And I think that's what so many, and I think, you know, on the other side of the coin, I think that's the value opportunity for folks out there that are looking to acquire businesses now as they could acquire these businesses that do not have these systems. I saw a statistic, I think it was, I think $4 trillion in businesses are currently held by baby boomers and, you know, small, small businesses. And so there's a tremendous, you know, I didn't, didn't double check that number. I did not audit that number, but, uh, <laughs> 
But regardless, you know, there's a large amount of small businesses that are out there of folks that are going to want to transition into, into retirement. And like you said, you know, maybe it's something where you can go and implement systems or processes and, you know, back to kind of what you had done from an advisory perspective is, you know, maybe on the on the surface, you're like, okay, this is a little bit expensive based off the financials and the EBITDA that I'm seeing for this particular transaction. But here's the upside, right? If we can go in and implement this or implement that, or hey, the guy's working 60 hours a week now, I think I could really, you know, throttle it down to 20 if I do this, this and this and pull this lever. And, you know, so that's on the acquisition side, but then on the yeah. on the sales side, like you said, if you want to sell a business, you know, it's not, you know, real estate, especially nowadays, you know, it's, it's so transactional and there's just yeah. so much demand and so much money that's chasing real estate. So, you know, transactions happen all the time with dirty financials or no financials because people yeah. are just so hungry to get into the assets on the business side. You've really got to be able to tell the story. You can't just be like, oh, yep. well, you know, our tax return, we didn't, you know, we just, we just funneled as many expenses through it as possible. Yeah, yep. we, we lost a ton of money, but, you know, an, an end buyer is going to want to know, well, what's the story here? You know, or, hey, based off your tax returns, your business has been losing money for the last three years. I'm not going to pay you $500,000 or yep. $200,000, whatever the case is. And so I just think, back to kind of defining what you want from it. If you want to sell your business, it's not a three-week, four-week, two-month yeah. process. You've really got to make sure you've got those systems, that you've got those financials in place. So when somebody comes to you, you can say, and you even mentioned it, multi-years of financials, right? Not just, hey, yeah. here's the last six months P&L or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I would not, if I was involved in a transaction like that, I would not let a client get into buying a business that didn't have at least three to six years of tax returns. Because three years is the audit window. Six years is if there's something grossly understated. If your business only has two years, no good accountant is going to like be like cool with that, right? We have to make sure our clients are good from an audit perspective. And that's the thing between buying businesses and buying real estate. Real estate is an asset that you can send an appraiser to go look at, right? And those appraisers are not as expensive as full-blown audits of company financials. I mean, they're not the cheapest, don't get me wrong. They're not like 20 bucks. But like full-blown audits cost a lot of money, right? And it requires a lot of um, working with the current business owner, whereas you can just send an appraiser to go walk through a property, right? And yes, if they want to look and really, really inspect, you need some you know, help from the current, business, the current uh, property owner. But that is a difference. People are more willing to jump into shadier real estate, not shadier, but like less financially together real estate because there is a physical asset there. Businesses, some businesses do have physical assets, plant, property, equipment, that sort of thing. But there is a certain aspect of it that is a story that has to be believed and has to be up to snuff and has to pass due diligence. It has to be worth being bought. And there is, like you're saying with the seller and the buyer kind of side of the whole equation, if your business isn't super duper amazing and bundled up and compliant, they where someone doesn't want to come in and pay a good price for the whole business, yeah, they'll still come in and buy aspects of it. They may buy your book of business, but your book of business is worth less than the overall business, right? You can still sell aspects. You still sell your equipment, but like, do you want to sell just the assets you have or do you want to sell everything, right? One is worth a little bit more. Right. And on the buyer side, there is a big opportunity for buyers that are experienced in a certain space. And I know, for example, since I'm an accountant, this happens in accounting. You'll have accounting firms where they have very good systems in place in their firm. They have the staff, they have everything. And they're just buying up other firms because they're buying their client lists. They're not buying their employees like they're indentured, but like they're grabbing them for a little bit and they're just folding it in and they're saying, well, we have the systems. We don't care if you have the systems. 
we're going to go buy a distressed accounting firm that doesn't have the systems that the owners work too much that they're trying to get rid of. And they're going to buy it, you know, not for super cheap, but cheaper. And they're going to fold into their practice. They're going to fix it. Like that's what these massive companies like uh, Bain Capital and stuff do. They go, they buy companies that need help. They fix it. They make them better. And then they go and they sell them. Yeah, they do a lot of other shady stuff along the way with, you know, buying debt, moving debt, destroying Toys R Us, things like that. But I mean, it can happen on the small scale if you're very, very good in a certain industry. And like you even see it in real estate. You know, people are very, very good at real estate. They go, they find the distressed things and they're just great at it and they fix it. And I don't mean literally fixing properties, but like systemizing stuff like that. It It's a thing, you know? One kind of going back to knowing yourself, right? You know, what are your skills? What are your aptitudes? Hmm. And how do you relate those? And, and, you know, again, you know, you can have a little bit of with, you know, as far as your knowledge base and, you know, maybe you can kind of, you know, similar industries or, Hey, we implemented this process, you know, communication with customers, you know, maybe instead of, you know, snail mail, and now we can do email and text messaging and things like that. Yeah. Right. And I think it's just, you know, opportunities abound in my opinion, right. For, for look, if you've, if you've got the aptitude and if you've got the experience in, in certain areas. So, well, no, I, I love that. So, well, one thing we got to talk about is this newsletter, right? So I know, it, I know it's kind of your baby and you've been working yes. on it for a long time. So I guess just kind of, you know, what was the impetus for it? And, and, you know, and why did you kind of start taking so much pride and ownership in, in creating a newsletter that, that people really would read? So what it really was, was the switch over to advisory. I get compliance clients as is, but as much as people want to pretend that compliance clients can be advisory clients, not necessarily. There are two different types. You know, not everyone that needs a tax return wants business advice, right? They just don't, or they can't afford it or whatever, right? So I needed a new way to get those clients and the old way wasn't working. And the one thing that kind of worked on me for like, it was kind of group coaching. It wasn't like full-blown one-on-one was a newsletter. It was like a very, you know, simple, just a knowledge-based newsletter where every single, I mean, his was daily, which I could never keep up with. Mine is weekly, but like he just would show up and, you know, he wouldn't sell you anything, but he just demonstrate his expertise over and over and over. And eventually you'd be like, this is what I need. And that's the idea behind my newsletter. It's been like a year and a few months. I think I started it last April or something. Right. So a year and three months-ish. And that's been the idea in the beginning, to be honest, it sucked, was not good, right? It was very bad, but it's always kind of had been this idea of, I guess, almost talk about contrarian. It's just, I had, it wasn't created with the email best practices in mind. Like there's certain best practices about deliverability and stuff, but like I started it to avoid the things I hated about newsletters. And like, for example, and I'm sure you've seen this, everyone has seen this, you go and they're like, download our ebook. And it's like a really just crappy ebook. And you go and it was written by someone who knew nothing about the topic. They were just told write an ebook and it's like 10 pages. And it's like, I don't even read legit books that have been edited, let alone some 10 page crappy ebook, right? And then you're stuck on this email list. I mean, you can unsubscribe, but like you're on this email list and they just like hit you with these like really salesy messages. And there's nothing wrong with sales right? Everyone needs to sell. That's how business works, right? But it's just like over the top. You don't even know them. You just downloaded a crappy ebook. And now they're like hitting you with these kind of like clearly very made up stories about how amazing they are. And then they're like just trying to get the sale in the first month. It's like, does that work in certain industries? Maybe in e-com? Yes. Does that work in accounting? No. I mean, it does. It does for some people, but that's not the direction I wanted to go in. So the newsletter is kind of my baby because it's just a, it's much, it's both easier and harder than you would think it is, right? But um, 
No, it's just always been everything I wanted in a newsletter. You know, it's, and I think you read it, right? So you know what it is. There are really no salesy emails in there. It's literally just, you know, here's my business topic, whatever was on my mind that week. It's not even like a contrived clickbaity subject line, which you're supposed to, everyone says spend 90% of the time on the subject line. It is literally an afterthought sometimes. I'm just like, this is a summary. That's it. They're going to, just so you know what you're getting into when you click it. And then you click it and it's just like, this is my advice. These are my uh, bullet points. So it's easy to skim. I have an action item at the end of every one because like it always drives me nuts when you read something online, business advice wise, and you read it and you just go, what was the point of reading that? There was no takeaway. There was no advice. There was no nothing. It was just like a thousand words of fluff. And you're like, what the hell was that waste of my time? So that's why like I implemented in mind the action items because I was like, I want every email to be actionable. Maybe it doesn't apply to your business, but at least one email a month, you should have something you can take away with and apply. And um, the only salesy thing is there's like a link at the bottom to hire me. And that was the newsletter I always wished existed. And so now, now it's my baby because it's like, I made it happen. This is the newsletter. Well, and I just, I think the the point that you made is so important is the demonstration of expertise over and over again, right? But not in a, not an ambiguous way, but just in a professional way. Hey, you know, here's something that we think is going to be valuable. You know, here's particular tools that, you know, that can help potentially, you know, make your your company runs smoother. Here's things that I do within my my business or my firm that that could in you know in turn help you, like you said. And and I think that's that's really the thing a lot of people miss just so so often. And and I think it goes back to what we talked about before is you just a lot of times have to be good enough, right? You only you know to, to survive the bear attack, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun yeah. you know the person next to you, right? You know, yeah. and and you and you win. And I think that's kind of why things like this are so simple in theory, but in terms of application and consistency, you know, that's really where, where people struggle. And, and I think you're right, you know, just in terms of, of course, we're all subscribed to thousands of newsletters. And, and I think just being very concise and clear and kind of what you're offering from it, I think is a huge, a huge bonus. And then also just because me and a buddy are working on a, a business course right now, and we're, we're going through it and just, even just making things look a little bit professional. The the ebook thing just really got me when you're talking about that because yeah. even if the content isn't great, you know, and I mean it's a it's a free ebook. So, you know, what can you really expect? Obviously, hopefully you glean, you know, one piece of knowledge from it, yeah. but at least make it look professional. I mean, you know, the yeah. ones that I hate are the ones where it's like a two-page PDF document of a Word doc, and you're just like, wait, you couldn't even put a logo or stylize it at all. And you're just yeah. like, this is ridiculous. And so I think that's the point is you know, all these things combined are what your audience or what your customer base views you as, yeah. right? And so sometimes it may be better to not do something than just to half-ass something, right? You know, so if you're yeah. going to put out a, a, a crummy ebook, maybe just don't do it, you know, take, wait until you actually have the time or put out a newsletter. Yeah. Like you said, that's just spammy and salesy constantly, you know, really have intention behind these things. And I just love the fact, you know, that you kind of said, Hey, I looked at all the the points that I didn't like within newsletters and, and how can I really build upon that? And I just, you know, it's just something cause it's, you know, it's, it's a, again, just a small aspect of, of having a business and running a business. But, you know, I think it's a great way. And especially when you're talking about more of the services, the advisory side, you know, you can show that expertise. Hey, this is what, this is how I helped other clients, or this is what tools I've used within my business. And so, no, I, yeah. I really appreciate that. Are there, are there any pointers or, or best practices or anything that kind of sticks in your head in general that like, you know, that really do get stuck in your craw that people do that, you know, that maybe could help folks out there in terms of curating their own newsletter? Oh, making their own newsletter? Things I hate about other people's newsletters? <laughs> yeah. um, the biggest thing I hate about other newsletters is just there has to be a point to the email, you know? 
it has to be an email you would, if someone like with all things business, right? I always think, you know, what if you were in your customer's point of view? What if you're in your clients, your audiences, your potential buyers, you know, even it's a business buyer or product buyer, service buyer, whatever, would you like this newsletter you sent them, you know? And not in like a BSC, like, oh yeah, not like genuinely, would you like this, right? And that's the biggest really thing with, you know, not just newsletters, but like business best practices and stuff like that. A lot of it is like, how would you like to be treated? You know, a lot of, you know, I guess uh, advice around, I have like invoicing and stuff like that. It's just like, how would you like to be treated as a buyer? You know, how, or there's, this is now we're going off topic, but we're, I'm going to talk about it anyway. For example, right, everyone always talks about raising prices and how to raise prices. And there's two thoughts on it. One, you just raise prices because big businesses do it all the time. They don't give you warning. Or two, you give warning. My opinion is you give warning because everyone hates it when big businesses do that, right? I hate it. You hate it. When all of a sudden the price goes up, you're, God, I hate them. But you can't switch from Verizon because they're the only cable carrier in the area, right? But if you're an accountant, there's 20 other accountants. I can switch, right? And uh, treat people politely and stuff. Golden rule, right? God, I had another point lost. <laughs> no, but I think that's that's so important. And I mean, I think, you know, this is kind of, you know, one of my favorite books is Story Brand by Donald Miller and just kind of putting yourself mm. in the in the customer's shoes. And I think so many times, especially just advice in general, right? People get either preachy or they don't really understand the problem that their customer is facing or their, their prospect is facing, right? And I think that's Again, we're all trying to say, oh, my product or service is so great. You know, it's going to it's going to allow you this transformation. Right. But but how is the the customer and the audience going to actually digest that information and really, you know, relate and resonate with them? Right. We all see things in our perspective, but our perspective mm -hmm. is really irrelevant. And I think that's kind of what you know, what you're saying is so important is really make sure that you understand how your customer is going to actually consume and digest the information so that they can, you know, ultimately work towards the action that you want or you know, self-select and say, Hey, this isn't for me. Right. You know, yeah. cause I mean, it's best when you don't have people just knocking at your door that aren't your ideal customer. And you're just like, Hey, you know, they just, I made it very clear that this isn't for them. And so, you know, they can go find another service, which is totally fine. Cause it's not going to waste your time yeah. or waste theirs. Sometimes, you know, that works too. I guess speaking back on newsletters, one thing I heard a, a while back was the way you communicate with your audience before they're your clients should be somewhat representative of how you communicate all the time. You don't want to have super friendly, you know, emails and newsletters and then when they get to you you're super buttoned up and super professional then there's this like weird mismatch right should it just be you all the way through i love that and i mean just in i know another buzzword you know being relatable and you oh. know and but i mean but i mean i do think it is good to be you know fairly transparent and this is who i am right you yeah. know like and, and you know personally i like to have a little bit more fun right i think the buttoned up stuff is is really just for social media and stuff, right? You know, everybody wants to have their suit and tie on, but dude, it's just, we're both in t-shirts. Like we're just having fun chatting. Like it's, it is what it is, right? You know, I, I like to have yeah. fun and kind of, you know, just, just let things go. There's an audience for everything. I know there's a very successful virtual CFO firm in the US. Their average billings last I heard were $70,000 per client per year to work with them, right? The owner only wears uh, Hawaiian shirts and like, linen pants and stuff but it's just like what are you going to say to him at a minimum it takes like 50 grand a year to work with them they're obviously doing something right and there's like a white list and they're expanding it's just like if you want to just wear t-shirts and be a little bit more casual there is an audience for that i mean make sure your audience likes it lawyers may not like it if you show up in t-shirts 
but is the guy that runs the gym or the mechanic going to like it? Maybe, you know, know your audience. If you take one thing away from this entire conversation, know your audience and that'll take you leaps and bounds again, ahead of uh, the next guy running from the bear. (laughs) All right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap up with the contrarian three pack here. Um, so I know we talked about this one a little bit beforehand, but what would you say is the most contrarian investment or investment advice that, that you've had or, or given before? Yeah, we spoke about this and I mentioned you were not going to like my answer. Uh, <laughs> Even better. <laughs> my most, I guess that's what makes a contrarian. My contrarian invest, investment advice is actually uh, investing in retirement accounts in your stock market. I guess I should say this isn't financial advice. All right. I'm not legally allowed to give financial advice. I've got in trouble. There's licenses. I don't have that one. But the reality is, is from my perspective, talking to business owners, and you can talk to other accountants, financial advisors and stuff like that. The vast majority of very small business owners do not save for retirement. And what ends up happening is they try and play these games where Either, you know, they take a lot of cash on the side or they use S-Corps to really reduce their salary for the tax benefit, or they try and push as much expense as possible through the company, which is legal. Always deduct all the legal things you can deduct. Legally, don't fraudulently make deductions, right? But what ends up happening is that you spend your whole business career trying to minimize Social Security taxes, right? So you don't really pay into Social Security and you never really save for retirement, and then you kind of play this game where you're like, oh, my business is my retirement, but you work 60 hours a week and have no systems and no one wants to buy it. And then one day you're 65 and all your friends are starting to retire. I mean, unless your friends are like cops, then they retired like 20 years ago. But it's a thing that happens, you know. So if you do want to do one of those, I could say one of those corny things, invest in yourself, invest in your business, invest in real estate. Those are all fine and good. But make sure that there is a plan for when you're 60 or 65. You know, old age is inevitable. It sucks. Like, I've been losing my hair. Like, it's super not cool. Apparently, I have gray hair in my beard now. And, like, that's super not fun. But it's inevitable. And, like, it sucks to talk about. It sucks to think about. But what sucks more is being 60, 65, seeing all your friends start to retire and realizing you have nothing. And now you're stuck working forever. And we can all sit here and we can BS about, I love my job. I love working. Are you going to love it at 70? Are you going to love to work for the rest of your life? Because Social Security wasn't designed to live a good life. It was designed so you don't live in poverty. And if you've been playing games with it, you have even less, right? So my contrarian investment is to actually care and make sure there's a plan B for when you're supposed to retire. Well, and I think, it, I mean, again, this is all blending together in regards to intentionality, right? Yeah. You know, and and set yourself up. Okay, if you're so many people go through life just kind of grasping at straws, you know, and fighting for tomorrow, right? Instead of having this architecture and this strategic view and, yeah. okay, yeah, maybe if you're in your mid thirties or early forties, okay, you know, you're throwing caution to the wind. You're just like, hey, you know, I've got to figure this out. But if you're getting into that horizon of 15 to 20 years from the retirement age that you want, you really need to start looking at things a little bit more holistically and just make sure that the actions you're taking are, are going to align with with what your expected outcome is, right? If, you, if your goal yeah. is to exit the business and use that as your retirement nest egg, well, then you need to structure the business in a manner in which it's actually exitable, right? Or at yeah. least at, at a figure that that, that you lo- that you appreciate and that you like. Or if, if yeah. you want to kind of just scale back how much you're working in the business, well, then you've got to be able to save up for retirement and make sure that you're going to be able to pay yourself something so you can live the same standard of living that you've been having. So no, I, yeah. I, I love like that. So whatever you want your retirement plan to be, whether it's investments or your business or whatever, just pick it. And like you said, be intentional about it. It's okay to that your business is your nest egg, but be intentional about selling it. And it's also okay if you want to invest in real estate or the stock market, but just pick something, have a plan and be intentional. 100%. 100%. 
So I know we talked a lot about business, the newsletter, your advisory services. Yeah. So outside of all that stuff, what do you do to get yourself riled up and excited outside of work? Uh, recently, nothing because of the whole, we haven't been allowed to go outside thing, right? We're not allowed to go outside. Thankfully, I live in the suburbs, so I can go outside. I've got friends who live in the city. I'm like, I don't know how you've been surviving. But I, I'd been running until I hurt my knee, right? And I'm still working on that. But that was kind of a thing. You know, I liked running. I liked being able to, you can't really check your phone as you run. It kind of forces you to set the technology aside and reset and rethink, not rethink, but like there's less going through your mind, right? That was nice. That old age, man, your knee, your gray hair. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I got grays. I got like four different colors in my beard. It's like red, brown, white, and gray. So, you know, it's like a, it's like a, I don't even, not a rainbow, but it's a hodgepodge of, of different stuff going on. So I, I feel that pain for sure. <laughs> and then ultimately what offers you the most fulfillment in life? In life as a whole? Ooh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's a little too deep for me. As lame as it sounds, I do get a little bit of fulfillment from the newsletter and from the advice and stuff. And that does sound like super lame and like I'm pitching myself and I hate when I listen to podcasts and people are like, I love my job so much because like that's BS. But uh, <laughs> for people that don't know me, this is my honest how I talk about things. But there is something nice about creating the newsletter and seeing my thoughts kind of spread. Actually, this morning, I was going through my LinkedIn feed and I saw someone else who reads my newsletter had started their own and they had linked to one of the editions of theirs. I noticed there were certain aspects of it that were similar to mine and not like a plagiarizing kind of way, but it's just like kind of like nice to see how, you know, the format, someone else thought, oh, this is good. Let me, you know, use aspects of it and to see how it kind of goes and in a way helps people here or there, you know? I don't need every single person on the newsletter to become a client, but like, it would be cool if every single person in the newsletter did take something away from it for their business. Like, I would love it if someone was just like, hey, I know I'm not a client, but that last email really helped with whatever problem was in my business. Like, hell yeah, good for you, man. Like, <laughs> that'd be cool. Well, no, and I don't think that's sappy at all, right? I mean, because it all stems back to kind of what got you out of just the compliance side in general, right? Helping mm -hmm. people, right? Helping them define and understand and, and ensure that the actions they're taking are getting them to the outcomes that they want, right? And it seems so simplistic, but ultimately so many people fail at that. So no, I, I think that's really cool. You know, I mean, like you said, you spent a lot of time, you worked through a lot of uh, crummy advice on how to start a newsletter. And so, you know, hey, if oh. you can help somebody expedite their curve, then, you know, that's awesome. On that note, if anyone's starting a newsletter, feel free to DM me or email me. I've got a Google Doc with all my favorite articles saved. Because when I first started it, it was such a pain to find any good information. I'll just send it to you. I don't care. Like, just DM me. Oh, appreciate that. Show notes? Can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to, to link to it if you can share it with me. But Michael, this has been this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time. What is what is the best way for folks to get in touch with you out there? To get in touch with me, I guess would to be to follow me on LinkedIn. I'm always there saying something and spending way too much time there. It's, you know, my name is Michael Eckstein. I believe, and I haven't checked this recently, I believe, and I'm not BSing, if you Google LinkedIn's cutest accountant, my profile comes up, that's not even BS, right? And then of course, join the newsletter at uh, eckstein It's right there. You can see all the reviews and stuff. Lots of reviews. I hate when like, side note about newsletters, when you see a newsletter and you're just like, oh, the ebook is the only proof it's good. Uh, I got reviews, right? I can vouch for it too. You know, definitely right. some actionable items and just some good, some good snippets here and there. And, you know, I know I, I appreciate it. And I appreciate the amount of effort you put into it. So, all right, man. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Looking forward to seeing where the newsletter and, and your advisory services head here in the near future. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. 
I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.